Second Peter chapter three. Woo, we're heading on to chapter three. Man, we are rolling through this. All right, we got a whopping two verses we're going to cover cover today. All right, and uh, I just want to I just want to get your thinking about what we're going to be talking about. Stirring it up to remember, not stirring it up. Stirring it up. Okay, stirring it up to remember. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to be reading in the New King James. We're going to read these first two verses in chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Comma there, we're going to stop. The verse goes on, but we're just going to take these first two verses this morning. And so what I would really like for us to do this morning, I believe that it's imperative at this point that we review what we've been studying together. This is one of those, this is one of those times that we just finished chapter one, we just finished chapter two, and we're in chapter three. So what I want to do is, if for those of you that are not familiar with Peter's life, I want to give you a reminder of the journey of Peter the Apostle. Now, I've got a resource online for you about Simon Peter. If you want to go to gotquestions.org um, and do backslash life slash Peter, you can, there's going to give you a lot of details about Peter's life that I'm not going to mention here. Um, but it's a great resource. Gotquestions.org is amazing. Peter was involved in a successful fishing business. Now, he appears to be a very natural leader. When you look at the life of Peter, it just seems very like he's a very natural leader. He appears to be a very passionate man who was bold and often brash in his communication style. Peter had incredible strengths, and he also had glaring weaknesses. Now, I don't know about you, but I take great solace and comfort in Peter's life and the way that he lived his life where we get to know about him. Simon Peter or Cephas was one of the three that was the closest to Jesus. So you remember a lot of times when you read the scripture, it was Peter, James, and John. He was like, hey, come over here with me. I want you to do this. Come pray with me. He was one of those three. And to me, he's an example for all of us as his life is an authentic representation of a flawed human being who was learning to follow Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know about you, but I love that. You see, so many times where Peter, like he wore sandals, but if he lived in Madison, he would put a boot in his mouth. I mean, the things that he said, the things that he did, he was just like, you know, I mean, I love when he, you see where it's like Jesus is teaching. I mean, can you imagine the audacity to pull Jesus aside and then school Jesus on what is or isn't going to happen? And I'm like, dude, this is God in the flesh. He believed that. But yet, the reason I'm pointing that out is because this is the man that is writing these epistles for our learning. This is a guy that made all kinds of public boo-boos, and yet God used him as a pillar when the church was launched. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes, and then Guess who was endued with power? Our boo-boo brother. Amazing things. So I want you to think about this. 
Many scholars believe that Peter wrote these letters a, a simple two or three years before he was killed by Nero. So when you read the language, Peter already knew that his demise was coming because Jesus told him. But he's also at the end, he's only two or three years away from um, going to the other side. Peter was probably one of the oldest of the apostles when um, they all followed Jesus during his three years of ministry. I don't know if you ever thought about this, just some speculation for you to think about. It's very possible that a lot of the apostles, when they said that they were going to follow Jesus, were either in their late teens or early 20s. And Peter is one of the few that you, we know for sure that he was married when he followed Jesus. So he had to be a little bit older because of the customs and the process of things that he was going through. So it appears that Peter was one of the older. And he could have been, when he wrote First and Second uh, Peter, um, Peter could have been in his late 50s or early 60s when he penned these two epistles. Think about this. At least 30 years had passed since our Lord Jesus was crucified and ascended to heaven. This is super important because I think it's imperative that we understand. A lot of times when we read stuff, we don't think about the context or the age or what's going on. So here's Peter in his early years. And we get to see all this stuff and we don't even know all the things he said and did. We just get glimpses of them. And just from those, you can see this is extreme highs and lows. And then fast forward, let's just say 30 years later, you get this man that's writing these two epistles and we don't have a lot of the details in between those 30 years. We've got a very flavorful understanding of Peter just from those early years. And so there's these 30 years of maturation and growth and learning and maturity, the things that he's experiencing. And so now what is he saying to us? He's saying, listen, guys, I have been on both sides of this thing. And I just want you to understand what I have learned is absolutely incredible. It's life altering. This is a passion that he's talking with. Peter learned so many incredible lessons throughout his journey following Jesus. Second Peter chapter one, these are some of the things that he's proclaiming to us. Jesus is proclaiming the privilege of becoming a partaker of God's divine nature. That's for us. The same highs and lows, the same struggles. Some of you right now, you're like, man, that's... That's just crazy. If you knew me, if you knew what I've done, if you knew... No, no. Peter gets it firsthand. He's saying, no, we can experience God's divine nature. We can be partakers. He outlines godly characteristics that will create a growing, developing, and productive life of faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter tells his readers that if we are diligent, this is pretty bold, Peter says, if you're diligent, then you will never stumble. These things that he shares in the, in the, in the first chapter of the second epistle is incredible. He says, listen, I've just found out with all my ups and downs that if you will press into these things and partake with God's divine nature, I'm telling you right now, these growth things, these pressing it, you will never stumble. Life-altering truths are being shared by a man who knows both sides of the coin. 
Peter is so committed to reinforcing these truths that he states that he will keep saying the same things until he dies, then make arrangements to have the same truths proclaimed after his departure from this world to the next. So think of it this way. Here's Peter. He's just going to be like this. No, listen, I'm going to keep saying the same things. And I know that you're walking in the truth, but you can't get enough of this because this is amazing. And he's not going to stop. And matter of fact, he's going to make arrangements to where that somebody that's going to be reminded even after he goes, Greg, come here. So Greg Martz, after, after I die, Greg, Come on, man. Start. I need you. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Like, okay, I'm gone. He's going to keep doing the same thing. There you go. Thank you. Very good. That's good. <laughs> Greg's like, really? That's simple? That's all? Yeah, thank you. But you get what I'm saying? That's discipleship. But that's how committed Peter is to these things. He's like, I'm going to just, I'm going to keep repeating the same thing because I'm telling you, this is life altering. That's his passion. That's his commitment. Oh, man. Chapter 2. Because of that great truth, what does Peter do in chapter 2? Peter follows chapter 1 by telling his readers that because these truths are so important and eternal that the forces of evil will have false teachers working to distort and pervert this powerful message. Think about it. Jesus was buried, rose again, spent time here, ascended up to heaven. As soon as he left, these sweeping in false teachers immediately hit and they wanted to draw people away and get people to worship them and nothing has changed. And because of that, Peter's saying false teachers and false influencers will make every effort to distract and draw away from this incredibly supernatural existence that he explained in chapter one. Do you get what I'm saying? Peter even goes to describe the attitudes and the motivating factors of these false teachers or these false influencers. Their goal is to pervert the power of the good news of Jesus. We cannot become complacent, but we have to be diligent in pursuing the pure presence of God. Peter's saying back then, Without technology, without all the advancements, you've got all these things to distract. There's all these false influencers and false teachers sweeping in to try to get you away from this supernatural divine experience that you can have through Jesus Christ. Let me give you some Greek words real quick. The Greek meaning of the phrase, I stir up, I've got it written down. If you grab the notes, you can read it. This is one that I haven't memorized, and I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not going to say it. You can come look at it. Um, But it basically means to wake up, awaken or arouse, like from sleep. But as Peter's using this word as a fisherman, the context here in this verse is that it's more of the sea the sea when it begins to be agitated or rise, metaphorically to arouse the mind, stir up or render active. Now we used to live on the Chesapeake Bay. So it's tidal water. So I love this because 
there is this idea that it's using in the original Greek that the water is being stirred up. The water is rising. The tide is rising. That it's tumultuous. It's being stirred up. And you know, a lot of times what happens with that is it's not just this placid little thing, but stuff from the bottom gets drawn up. Stuff from the bottom gets brought to the top. And where you can normally look at the water and it has a certain color to it, all of a sudden you've got this brackish, nasty intermixing of stuff coming from the bottom to the top. This is what Peter's talking about. And there's a difference here. Thank God for the coffee table back there. But we're not talking about a cup of tea. Oh, I actually have a cup here. Some of you, it's not this kind of stirring up. Let me keep it within the bounds of the cup because I don't want to spill. And some of you, that's the kind of church experience you're used to. And then you come here, and we're like, stir it up, bottom up. Ooh, that's nasty, murky. The things that Pastor Chris was reading earlier, that's like being stirred up down in your soul, and the stuff is coming to the top, and you're like, man, that's not neat and clean. Mm -mm. No, it's not. So that idea of being stirred up, when it uses the term pure minds, in the original language, it refers to pure, unsullied, or sincere mind. I thought about John 15, 3, because this is what I've been working through, and I'm just going to be honest about my own struggles here. John 15, 3 in the ESV, Jesus said, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So hang with me here. I want to address the reality as we're talking about these pure minds. I want to address the reality that most of us don't feel like we have clean, pure minds. Can we just be honest? You don't don't have to nod, grin, don't look at me. Somebody's looking at you. But in your heart and soul, can we just be honest? A lot of us struggle that we don't feel like we have clean, pure minds. I want to remind you that if you have believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then God's Holy Spirit lives in you not beside you. He lives in you. You have the words of Christ because of your faith. There is a pure, clean, please hear me, whether you believe it or not, because of the Holy Spirit, there is a pure, clean part of your mind. It is there, and this is a challenge. We must learn to allow that clean, pure mind to grow within us. If you have the word, if you've responded to Christ, then you have a clean, pure part of you. And what we have to learn to do is stop believing the lies that we pour over ourselves because some of you are sitting here this morning in bondage and you don't believe that sin no longer has dominion or power or rulership over you. And so you keep submitting to that when the Holy Spirit is trying to Create within you a pure, clean existence so that you can live free of contamination the way that you're used to. That's deep. I can't say any more about it. We got to move on. When it says reminding or remembrance by way of reminder, it's just a simple phrase. It's us being able to remember. So let me ask you a couple questions. What works for you? How do you remember important things? That was a question like that begets an answer, like
participation. Write it down. There we go. Good job. Write it down. What else? How do you remember important things? Do what? Yeah. Good. What else? How do you remember important things? Repeat it. Repetition. Absolutely. What else? Shared calendar. Okay. Is that a physical calendar or is that technological sharing? Okay, Google. Okay, good. I was just, my wife and I are going through that right now. That's what I was asking. All right, what else? It's good. Let me give you five things real quick. These are quick insights for remembering in general, but these also apply to spiritual things. I'm going to just roll through these if you want to remember them. There's no copies up here. You can have my notes. You can look at them. Um, And then um, they're being published online. For anybody that doesn't get the notes on Sunday morning, they're now being, you can download a copy of them. The, the, The full notes are with the lessons online. Real quick, focus on what you want to remember. I know it sounds silly, but it's not. If you want to remember something, you have to learn to focus on what you want to remember. Number two, limit your distractions by avoiding clutter both mentally and physically. A lot of us, it's difficult for us to remember because our lives are full of clutter and distraction. Number three, develop better habits through a greater awareness. You just got to be aware and you got to work on your habits and your routines. Number four, write things down and personalize with notes and doodling. Now, I added this because I'm a note and doodler. If you, wanna, if you ever want to come to my library and look at my books, you can kind of tell where I got convicted and what I'm thinking because I'm just like, I, that's why I don't do well reading on a tablet because I don't know how to, I seem to ruin the screen trying to write on it. So um, what I do is a book is I'll doodle. Some of you, I used to doodle in high school and college. And then certain professors would come by and I'd get in trouble. But for me, when I was doodling while I was listening, that was helping me retain and helping me listen. I'm drawing these crazy little pictures or little things that flowers that just keep growing all over the page. You know, that really helps me. And some of you are thinking, you have serious problems. Well, you should have known that already. But I'm just saying that if you just write some things down like that, it really helps. Lastly, read and repeat things with repetition. So what I do is I'm going to show you this, and I've mentioned this before, but this is just my little verse book. And so if you come look at this, and I've got a little tab right here for this page, because what I do is I have to repeat and pour these verses over myself because this page has to do with my fears and my anxieties. You say, oh, Pastor Tim, no. I get overwhelmed. And you say, oh, well, you should remember why I don't always... So what I do is I repeat, I pour these verses over myself, and you can come look at these afterwards, but this is what I have to do to help myself stay focused and to remember. So Peter's making it very clear about why he is sharing his heart with this group of dispersed believers in the far northern region. Notice the distance when you see the picture up here of the map. Notice the distance between Jerusalem and where these people are located. What does it say? Asia, um, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Pontus. He's trying to share with these people that have been dislocated from their homeland and they're living in a strange land. He's trying to give them some supernatural stuff that is going to help them not only survive, but thrive in the environment that they're in. 
Peter's being very intentional to proclaim the power available for daily living that was proclaimed by the prophets of old as well as the apostles of the new covenant. We have supernatural potential by faith through Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This potential is made available by grace from Father God. He allows us to experience His divine nature. God loves us and He wants greater things for us But this process is different than the world. The world says, do this and you'll feel this way. Do this. And and, and even religion says, do these things and you'll be transformed from the outside in by your religious duty. And Jesus said, no, you've got it backwards. It's an inside out approach to spiritual transformation that affects every aspect of living. Some of you are experiencing this right now. And so it's a little uncomfortable Because as you're being changed from the inside out, it's affecting relationships, it's affecting things at work. I mean, it's just because it's not just as, well, it fits right here on Sunday morning. No, a relationship, religion fits right here on Sunday morning and you can leave it here where you walk out the door. Relationship is 24-7, seven days a week, all the time. Big difference. We must become laser focused and learn to narrow our field of vision. We must work to remind ourselves to be reminded or to work on recalling things or to return our minds to what is really important. This is a constant battle. We must learn to focus on the excellent things, not just the thousands of things that we could potentially view. Now, some of you have been wondering the whole time, why are these up here? Now, you know, did I stumble right into it? And here's the thing, like never before, we have to deal with the thousands of things that we can look at. And and even you can look at thousands of good things, but is it the excellent thing? Is it what God has for us? And I'm telling you right now that You can start with binoculars. You can use a spotting scope. You can go to the next level. You can look deeper, whatever your pursuit is. But I'm telling you right now that these help to narrow the field so that your focus is greater. And what we need right now is individuals and church collectively, we have to fight to be focused like never before. Distractions are everywhere through advanced technology. We live in a world full of opportunities and potential, but we live in a world that is absolutely full of distractions. And you know, if I didn't just bring this up, some of you would be deeply disappointed. And I am so thankful for the Version Bible app on here and I use it and it's a blessing. I'm so thankful for devotional material and the things that are on here. But I'm telling you right now, you're, for me, my quiet time, my personal time, my pursuit of God cannot be here. It's gotta be old school pages. You wanna know why? You already know why, whether you wanna say it or not. I can be in the Bible app And I can be in the middle of something supernatural that's going across my mind. What do you think happens? 
Well, go ahead and say it. What do you think happens? Ding, 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 ding. And I don't know about you. You already know I'm a squirrel guy. So I can be, I can be like, I feel like I am touching heaven. And then all of a sudden, I'm gone. Yeah, it's for real. And then all of a sudden, my mind just transitioned. And now I've got bullet points of people that I need to reach out to, things that I need to do. And all of a sudden, things that I haven't remembered in three months, they're right in the forefront of my mind. And then I'm like, pursuing those things. And then I'm like, what was I doing? Oh, I think it was making time for God. Where was I? What was I going on? And so what I've learned to do is for me to affect my focus, I can't use this. Thank God that this is a tool. And I'm not saying if you're at work and you, you, don't, you don't carry your Bible because some of you going to work, you'd be like, oh, I get it. But you can whip this out during a break. You can look at it. Praise the Lord for that. I'm not saying dump all the apps. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about for me and my focus with God and my relationship with him. I, I, I got distractions everywhere. And you guys already know, I'm easily distracted. <laughs> so we have to fight like never before for these distractions. I want to say this while we're talking about your mind. We've got a lot of people that have been going through this book in our church family. And if you're not, if you're not familiar with it, I want to use this as a recommendation. Uh, Craig Rochelle, he does an amazing job. He does a deep dive, but he's very practical. Um, it's, it's an easy read. We've got multiple people in our church family that have been going through this book. There's a workbook that goes along with it. This is a phenomenal resource. If you haven't read it, you're not aware of it. You need to make this part of your life and your study, winning the war on your mind. Because like never before in human culture, there's a, there's a bombardment for distraction. So individually and collectively, we must fight the distractions and learn to stay focused. What am I learning to stay focused on? God's words, God's thoughts. I'm fighting to stay focused on those holy things. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Scriptures, Holy Words, Holy Thoughts, and I have got to fight to keep that focus. We're not trying, and I'm, if you're new with us and you're a guest, maybe this is your first time, might as well be honest with you off the bat. Guess what? We are not trying to make you comfortable and make things easy for you. Some of you, part of the problem you have in your life is you're addicted to comfortable. There's a difference between the comfort of the Holy Spirit and like, oh my gosh, I want to be comfortable. That was so uncomfortable. We want to help you with your pursuit of God, but I'm not trying to keep you from experiencing the purging and the purifying and the tumultuous stirring up that the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in your life. You're like, Pastor Tim, like, I need you to pray for me. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Are you praying for you? Well, I, I don't know how to do that. I want you to pray for me. Mm -mm. I'll pray with you as you pray for yourself. Come to me with a question. Say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, what do you think about that? Have you looked at the scripture? Have you looked at what the Lord says about that? Well, no, I mean, I wanted to talk to you. I'm like, I would love to talk to you after you search the scriptures and find out what it is that you're looking for. Then you can come back. You know what I get sometimes? 
Ooh, so annoys me. And I'll be tender and loving. And in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know why I'm doing it? To stir up. Because if the faith is not real and personal, then it's just me putting a little label on somebody else's life. That's not what this pursuit is about. Oh, see, this is good. We are trying to stir things up like the Greek word means. And I, I need to read this to you because the same phrase, Peter's already said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. I'm going to read in the New American Standard 95 version. This is what he said. This is what Peter already said in the first epistle. I mean, in chapter 1, second epistle. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Not this. Welcome to Mountain View. Everybody get their coffee stirs. This is such a fun place to be. No, we're talking about stirring it up. Some of you are like, man, that's what he's saying here. He's saying as long as I'm in this earth, to stir up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. I know that I'm going to die. It's coming. As also our Lord Jesus made very clear to me. That was a great conversation. When Jesus told Peter, this is how you're going to die. This is what's coming. He knew it. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, New Living Translation. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. My goal is not to hurt anybody. I want to help. I want to be a blessing. That's God's call on my life. But that's not about me handing out lollipops to everybody. So sweet, it's so good. It's about provoking and stirring up and and trying to figure out ways to encourage. And that's what we need to be doing as a church family. And there's no substitute for doing it individually and then we need to do it collectively. Greg, stand up here again. He's like, never sitting in that seat again. Okay, so this is, this is how simple it is. You make a decision, you walk life with somebody. You say, hey man, how you doing? Great. Good, good answer. <laughs> and then what it is, is maybe... I'm around one day and Greg notices like, Tim, are you okay, man? You don't seem like yourself. Am I going to play the Christian game or am I going to be authentic with my brother? I'm like, dude, a lot of sadness, a lot of broken lives. Sometimes it just gets to me. 
It's reciprocal. And then he sees me being a tender battering ram. And he goes, hmm, maybe I should do some of that. And that's what the church is supposed to be for one another. The way he looked at me, there's no condemnation. They're like, oh, dude, are you, are you a wuss? He didn't look at me like that. And that's what we have to press into and learn how to be together. So that when our junk gets brought up from the bottom, we don't look and say, man, you got some trash floating on top of your water. No, you look and you go, I know what that trash feels like. Let me just help you. I know how this cleanup process goes. You see what I'm saying? Thank you, Greg. Love you, man. I want to read you this. No we'll close. If we live like we are loved, then we have hope and it is visible to others. If we live like we are loved, then we have hope and it's visible to others. None of us are perfect. This is not about religious perfection. This is about saving faith relationship that is easily transferred to somebody else because we can say, no, man, you don't understand. I am no better than you. I just know what forgiveness and cleansing feels like. Oh, no, 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 man. Trust me. Pastor Tim, what he was saying, I didn't used to believe it either. I thought there's no way I can have a clean, pure mind. But I'm just telling you, I've been taking steps. And let me just tell you, it's true. You can live in freedom. People expect me to say that. But can you imagine if this group went into this lost world and said, man, I'm telling you, it's true. Come and follow me. Let's walk life together. That's the vision of church that we're trying to proclaim. Let's stand and let's sing praises to his name.